Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty. This week, I have a quick and dirty tip about how to spell ado and a meaty middle about pronouns and antecedents. Michael from San Francisco wants to know why he keeps seeing people write, without further ado, A-D-I-E-U, instead of without further ado, A-D-O. Is it sheer ignorance or hypercorrection, he asks. Well, the proper form is without further ado, A-D-O. And ado is a hubbub, a bustle, a flurry, or a fuss. Another common phrase from the title of a Shakespeare play is much ado about nothing. Ado, A-D-I-E-U, is the French word for goodbye. English just borrowed it directly from French. Ado, A-D-O, was originally a contraction of the words at do which was another way of saying to do, because some of the languages spoken by the Norse invaders in northern England used the word at the way we use the word to. And according to the Oxford English Dictionary, it looks like ado is still used to mean to do in Scottish English and maybe in northern England. Here's an example sentence from a Scottish dictionary published in the 1970s. Listen carefully because it's Scottish English. I hae plenty a dee atween this and which Sunday. I hae plenty a dee atween this and which Sunday. That is a really fun sentence, so I'm going to take a minute aside with it. First, a dee seems to be a Scottish dialect form of a do, so that's why the sentence is listed as an example of a do, but actually uses a dee. Second, what the heck is which Sunday? Well, it turns out that Whit Sunday is one of four Scottish quarter days. Whit Sunday is in May, and then Lammas is in August, Martinmas is in November, and Candlemas is in February. These are somewhat similar to British and Irish quarter days, which are Lady Day, Midsummer Day, Michaelmas, and Christmas, although those fall on different calendar days from the Scottish days. All of these quarter days are days for quarterly activities, which the OED suggests could be holding quarterly meetings, hiring people, paying rent, or starting a tenancy. I'm not sure why those last few would happen quarterly, but it's still an interesting little tidbit. So now back to ado. I can't be certain why people get it wrong, but the substitution of the French ado for ado is what linguists call an egg corn— When people confuse two words that sound the same, especially when the substitution makes some kind of logical sense. The name comes from a discussion on the Language Log website about a woman who thought the word for acorn was egg corn. And you can see how that makes a bit of sense because an acorn is a seed that gives rise to a tree, kind of like an egg gives rise to a chicken, and an acorn is also kind of egg shaped. And in some instances, it's also possible to see how people could mistakenly believe that the meaning of adieu, goodbye, makes sense in the saying. For example, if people want to leave without a bunch of additional farewells, it may seem logical to say something such as, without further ado, we're off to the movies. But although it may seem logical, it's not correct. If you mean goodbyes, you'd have to use the plural, adieus. So your quick and dirty tip is to remember that we aren't French. When you say without further ado, you mean without further fuss, and you use the English word ado, A-D-O. Imagine a Viking in northern England saying it.
Next, we're going to talk about pronouns that don't clearly match up with the nouns they're supposed to replace. Readers become unhappy when they have to guess what noun a writer is talking about. Or readers may even chuckle if a pronoun seems to match up with the wrong noun. Later, I'll share some sentences that are funny, all because of little pronouns. If you're a regular listener, you may remember about subject and object pronouns. Pronouns take the place of nouns. For example, I and we are pronouns that appear in the subject position, as in we wrote a hit song. Think of pronouns as stuntmen or women filling in for nouns when the going gets tough or the nouns just get tired. The pronouns me, him, her, us, them, and it must be in the object position, as in the batter hit the ball to me. Other pronouns you might encounter are possessive pronouns, such as mine and hers, and indefinite pronouns, such as anyone and somebody. There are even more kinds of pronouns. The world is full of them. Sometimes a pronoun can stand on its own and the meaning is clear. When I say I am visiting Aardvark later, I don't need to say my name first. I stands alone. And when I say somebody left cookies in the lunchroom, We don't know who that somebody is, so we couldn't use a noun even if we wanted to. But other times, for your meaning to be clear, you need your pronoun to be referring to someone or something you've already mentioned. And when you set it up that way, the noun that the pronoun refers to is called an antecedent. That's spelled with an A-N-T-E, not an A-N-T-I. Anti with an I is a prefix meaning against, as in antisocial. Ante with an E is a prefix for things that go before other things. For example, an antecedent goes before the pronoun. An antemortem means before death. In the sentence, the driver totaled his car, the word his refers back to the driver. So driver is the antecedent of the pronoun his. It would sound silly to repeat the noun, the driver totaled the driver's car. In simple sentences like this, readers don't get confused about what pronoun is replacing what noun. On the other hand, when you have a complicated sentence or a series of sentences, your antecedent may get lost or may even be absent, and readers can get confused. Let's look at three common pronoun antecedent problems. Our first antecedent problem concerns antecedents that are missing or very far from their corresponding pronouns. For example, it'd be incorrect to write, here at work they expect us to show initiative. In that case, they doesn't refer to any plural noun. Those lurking bosses are implied, but not actually mentioned. Therefore, the antecedent is missing. To solve this particular error, you could name the people instead of using a pronoun. You could say, our bosses expect us to show initiative. Of course, an antecedent isn't always in the same sentence as your pronoun. If your previous sentence is about your bosses, it might be fine for the sentence to read, here at work they expect us to show initiative. Still, it's a good idea to keep your pronoun close to your antecedent, so you might want to flip the sentence around. The bosses gave us a talking to last week. They expect us to show initiative here at work. Now for the first of those silly sentences we promised you. This one comes courtesy of the useful grammar desk reference. 
Breathe in through your nose, hold it for a few seconds, then breathe out through your mouth. This misleading sentence illustrates how easy it is for readers to accidentally think that the antecedent is the noun closest to the pronoun. The pronoun it seems to refer to nose, the singular noun closest to the word it. However, the writer did not mean for you to hold your nose. What's missing here is a clear antecedent, your breath. For some reason, the pronouns it and they seem to be especially tempting to use without an antecedent or with the wrong antecedent, as you saw in the last two examples, so be especially vigilant around them. It and they also seem to be likely to appear far from their antecedents, making your readers search through an entire paragraph to find the antecedent for a lagging it or they won't endear you to your audience. So when you use an it or a they, make sure a specific and definite antecedent is nearby. Our second antecedent problem is what's called anticipatory reference, which Brian Gurner calls the vice of referring to something that is yet to be mentioned. Meaning that the writer puts the pronoun before the antecedent, a no-no. Whoever came up with the phrases, don't put the cart before the horse, and don't count your chickens before they hatch, could have been talking about pronouns that appear before their antecedents. For example, if you say, if it's available, be sure to order the champagne, your readers will wonder what it refers to. Only when the readers get to the end of the sentence do they learn that it means champagne. To make it easy for your readers, make sure the antecedent comes first. In many cases, you can solve the problem by switching around the noun and pronoun. If champagne's available, be sure to order it. The third and last antecedent problem concerns ambiguous antecedents. Pronouns pop up in almost every sentence, and sometimes readers may feel as if they're juggling. They're trying to remember which nouns have already been mentioned so that they can correctly match them up with later appearing pronouns. Don't turn your readers into a circus act. Your job is to provide a pleasurable and easy reading experience. Ensure that your pronouns and antecedents are clearly marked. Take this odd pair of sentences in which we meet an ambiguous antecedent. The room contained a chair, a desk, and a lone light bulb. It was 26 feet long by 17 feet wide. Wow, that's a pretty big light bulb. The pronoun it could, in theory, refer to various singular nouns in this sentence—room, chair, desk, or light bulb. Readers' first inclination will be to pair it with light bulb, the closest singular noun, leading to an absurd sentence. Your readers will probably figure it out, but you shouldn't make them work so hard. In this case, repeating the antecedent could help, but it sounds awkward. The room contained a chair, a desk, and a lone light bulb. The room was 26 feet long by 17 feet wide. A better move is to combine the sentences. The room, 26 feet long by 17 feet wide, contained a chair, a desk, and a lone light bulb. Here is the last promised ridiculous sentence, this one quoted from a church bulletin and featured in the book Sin and Syntax by Constance Hale. I hope this odd sentence will convince you to monitor your pronouns more carefully. The ladies of the church have cast-off clothing of every kind, and they can be seen in the church basement Friday afternoon. The pronoun they finds itself in an awkward position. Does it refer to the ladies or the clothing? 
Well, we can guess that items of clothing is the intended antecedent. But one could also interpret it to mean the church ladies are running around in their birthday suits. Save their dignity by making the antecedent clear. In summary, pronouns seem fairly easy to use, but don't let them lull you into a false sense of security. Double-check your pronouns to ensure they have an unambiguous antecedent that is both before and near each pronoun. That segment was written by Bonnie Mills, author of The Curious Case of the Misplaced Modifier, who blogs at sentencesleuth.blogspot.com. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. I'm also the author of the little book 101 Misused Words, which makes a great stocking stuffer, and the 2019 tip-a-day calendar called The Grammar Daily, which is fun to use all year long. That's all. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.